The views expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of MedPEP or Physician Health Services. The advice given to Marie Curious has been individualized and may not apply to the listener. While Marie Curious is a real person describing both real and hypothetical events and situations, she is using a pseudonym for this series. Welcome to MedPEP, the Medical Professionals Empowerment Program. I'm your host, Dr. Les Schwab, a practicing internist, experienced leader, and professional coach. In this series, we help medical leaders and health professionals manage the complex workplace environment of today's medical practice. My partner in these efforts is my colleague, Dr. Marie Curious. Marie is a young internist with a large and demanding practice, and she's looking for ways to not only survive, but to thrive in today's very, very challenging environment. Each week, Marie and I meet with a visiting expert to explore some dimension of the challenge to today's medical practitioners. And I will facilitate the conversation. So Marie, let me just check in with you now and ask, how are you? Thank you, Les. I am glad to be back with you today. All right, good to see you too. So today we are glad to welcome Dr. Alan Morris, who is a psychologist and who will speak to us about the topic of medicine as a team sport. And I'm very eager to hear your conversation. Same here, because I can't do it alone, Les, okay. that's for sure. All right. Dr. Morse, welcome, and thank you so much for being with us today. Absolutely, you're welcome. It's good to be here. Can you talk to me about yourself and what you do as a professional in helping a lot of us physicians? Well, it really depends on specific needs of the practice. Mm. And I think a lot of times I can give you a global example of terms of there's such a complexity to the whole practice field, and it's becoming more and more complex every day. So what I try to do is to help physicians, who are really good, by the way, at assessing issues and problems. So what I do is we start with an assessment. Mm -hmm. We look at it from a couple different levels. Is this an individual assessment that needs to be done? Mm. Is it something regarding the practice or the team fitting in with today's conversation? Or is it something that's a little more systemic? So that's where we would start. We start with the assessment, then we start to look at possible ways we can attack it or look at the problem, and then some ways in which we're going to be able to monitor how we're doing if we've actually addressed it. I think that sounds great, Alan. May I call you that? Of course. Okay. Uh, you know, as we're going through training in medical school, you learn, as you said, to be um, a physician to identify problems, diagnose, and come up with a treatment plan. That's what I'm trained to do. I didn't necessarily get specific training in how to be a de facto leader of a team, for example, or how do we work with various medical professionals in a daily practice? And then lastly, you know, how do we relate to the larger organization? So I'm glad that you've brought up all of those points because I think they're really relevant to practice today. Can you tell me a little bit of what you've come across as common issues that physicians you've worked with have had um, on an individual level in terms of relating or working with a team? Well, first of all, let me say you've actually hit the nail on the head because unfortunately, as good as it may be for physicians to have those skills, and we certainly don't want you to lose those, they're absolutely imperative, you're brilliant with these types of skills, is how to get added benefit 
from the skills that you have. So in other words, you're talking about when you're focusing on assessment, it's usually with a patient. Mm -hmm. Sometimes as a physician, you can use those same skills, you may not know this quite yet, assess your situation, mm -hmm. assess your practice. Unfortunately, if you're really going to be the best physician possible, you probably should go back to law school, you probably should get an MBA, <laughs> and you should probably get a clinical psychology degree because that's the nature of the beast today. <laughs> Given well that, stated. I don't think we need to do that, but I've learned it feels a little overwhelming because when you're at that individual level, everything that's involved with your skill set is directed toward a common, specific goal, which is right. your patient care and welfare. And what happens then is we become very focused. Mm. What we sometimes look at is just the other individual or just the, the entity, the disease, the disorder, whatever you want to call it. But what happens is we forget sometimes that all of this takes place in a larger environment, a larger culture. Mm -hmm. And so many times there are positive and negative components of the culture that can really help you do your job even better or sometimes they may be working against it. What are some aspects of the culture that helps improve teamwork? Well, if you think about it from a physician's point of view, you are expected on some level to be a perfectionist. It's a life and death situation. Right. You are faced with this on a regular basis. And this is not to say that that is not absolutely imperative that you maintain that strict focus. It is life and death. We do take it so seriously. However, there are some other issues that maybe have different ways of doing. A common goal, perhaps, among your practice mates, the colleagues in your practice. You all have, let's just say, a common objective, patient safety, patient welfare, right. and now hopefully some individual self-care for yourselves. But I think ultimately you realize that it's not that easy because it's not always that clearly defined. What may be an issue with a patient doesn't necessarily translate into how do you diagnose the global tone, the global effectiveness of your organization. Can you give a specific example? And what I mean to say is as a physician, what can we be doing to help shape that culture in a positive way? Good question. And I think one of the things that we tend to overlook because it's so ingrained in you. And let me ask that, answer that question with a question for you. Do you remember how and why you got into the practice of medicine? Les has asked me on several occasions, so I do have a more ready answer now. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> All these pop quizzes are so stressful. <laughs> Tell um, me what you thought. Which is to help people. That's why I got into this. That's why I became a doctor. I'm okay. the first one and only one in my family. And so I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. So there's a piece <laughs> of that that feels like you're saying that you've been taken away from that direct line between you and your patient. What else is going on that somehow gets in the way of that real care and concern directed towards your patient? Oh, absolutely. I think there's a, a thousand things that we could probably just rattle off. But today, part of what hopefully we can focus in on, I think, is how as a physician, I can help my team provide the best care possible for that patient. Absolutely, and now you're speaking my language. And let me give you an example. One of the things we, unfortunately, from the business perspective, carried over into the medical practice is that everybody has to be 
at a certain point, at a certain time, ready to go. Mm -hmm. And we all know, does everybody show up exactly at the moment they're supposed to? Are all the medications, are all the procedures lined up and ready to go every mm. day? I'm guessing no. No, I mean, we're only human. <laughs> exactly. Let me give you an example of how sometimes people dealt with this. What happened was that it was a CMO who was a real stickler for having people show up on time. Mm -hmm. There were so many things, that were, there's so many variables in the field. Sometimes the patients weren't coming down for surgery. This was a surgical practice. Sometimes they didn't come down on time. Sometimes they just did not have the labs that would allow them. So they've constantly struggled with scheduling. A lot of times, believe it or not, somebody had an emergency case that ran over from the night before and the person needed to, you know the deal. It's been like mm -hmm. that forever. One of the things that they did was they recognized that tempers were getting shorter. Mm -hmm. People were getting more and more concerned because they kept blaming people mm -hmm. for not being able to start on time. It was individualized. And then the physician stepped back and said, look, guys, we're in this together. Mm -hmm. Let's figure out how we can make this work. Mm -hmm. They had a specialized meeting. They actually brought their CMO in. And what they did was they talked about how we can address this issue. Now, what was really good was because people had a common goal, they wanted to look at scheduling in particular. Again, back to your initial emphasis on patient care, because patients were being left, they were being held up, they had to have extra medication just because there was a delay. What they decided, and this took two weeks to do it, it wasn't an easy fix, once everybody had their say, not that there was necessarily a consensus, but everybody felt that they had a piece of the puzzle that they could end up offering, they had a staggered start. So they had the physician coming in after the nurses had been in, after the attendings had been in, after the techs had come in, making sure that they had the anesthesiologist on site. So what they did was they literally had about a half hour window, and this all came out of that team approach because total greater than the sum of the parts, they all talked about their contributions to patient safety. They started recognizing that it doesn't necessarily have to all be at the same time. And from a business perspective, one of the best things that happened, which made everybody happy, including the board, they found that they had time to do an extra case a day. Right. Okay. I hear you citing a call to the, to the vision and mission of the team. I hear a inclusive team process. Mm -hmm. I hear co-creation of the solution and I hear time to have the solution iterated and built for sustainment. So I wonder, are these in general among the things you would enumerate as good team practice, good norms for a healthy team? Absolutely. But I think we need to be fair in saying it doesn't happen overnight and it's not a one step, one size fits all. But I do think that sets up the idea of the benefits of multiple inputs from your team. Because the interesting part is that there are so many people that are involved, it's a team, and there are a lot of different levels, a lot of different pay grades, and a lot of different skill sets. Mm -hmm. But if you were to be able to check in, there's such a common goal. And that's where they started. They started with the idea, we all want patient safety and good patient care, best practices. Only one apex of a mountain, only one peak, lots of different ways to get there. And that's what they, the physician actually was able to instigate this type of a dialogue so that everybody had an input. So it was more of a team approach and everybody was happy. Now, let's say that there, 
for that to happen and be successful, there are probably a couple tries where that didn't work. Let's go back to the mm -hmm. drawing board. Mm -hmm. Always putting the patient care first, obviously. Right. And putting that into practice, you referred to one of the physicians stepping up to take that role to say, hey, wait a second, let's all step back and focus in on our commonalities and our goals. Um, as again, the de facto leader, as a physician, how do I create a more positive team environment? You know, do I leave it up to the administrators? We have administrative staff who run the practice. I'm just a practicing clinician. So what is my role in all of this? All of the above. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> Sorry, of course, it's never that simple. But I think let's look at a case where, if you can remember way back when you were talking about being a resident, did you ever have a situation where you're alone at night and there's looking to be a medication error of some sort? This doesn't seem to be really working, right? Mm -hmm. Was there ever a time, well, of course, you had somebody that was on call, correct? Yes. Was there ever a kind of community-wide impression that some docs are better to be called in the <laughs> middle of the night and some docs might be so happy to be called at the middle of the night, right? Yes. And you knew that you were going to get the third degree and yelled at, why are you waking me up? That Anybody should know this. Were a couple examples like that? Well, not me personally, but certainly with colleagues in, okay. in various subspecialties. Well, you've just answered your own question. As a leader, one of the things that you can model is this concept that there really isn't a bad mistake other than obviously life and death matters. How you approach your staff, how you take those calls at 2.30 in the morning, whether you're screaming and yelling and swearing <laughs> at them for their incompetence, that's not going to bode well for future calls that they do have some additional questions. And it may be that the patient is in some dire straits and we have so much evidence where there's something that happened and nobody was ever notified. So as a, as a physician in the practice, you have a lot of esteem, you have a lot of respect. Mm -hmm. How you model the fact that, look, it's okay, I'm happy, I would much rather have you call me and we fix it if there is an issue than to have me come in in the morning in crisis and with patients in much worse condition. Alan, I think that's all completely fair. One question I had was, what if you are trying to model these good behaviors, but a colleague of yours, another physician, is not modeling good behaviors? Are you supposed to step in? Do you intervene somehow to help the overall team, which includes shared medical assistants, nurse practitioner, secretaries, et cetera? It's an excellent question. And I'm going to go right out on a limb here, and I'll probably saw it off. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm going to guess that you're not the only person that's aware of this physician's deficiencies. Right, and in fact, they've been brought to my attention, for example, and so what would, what would I do? Yeah. So on some level, that's another role that maybe you're not necessarily totally comfortable playing. Mom, go fix dad. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody comes to you when they are also aware of perhaps some of the dangers, some of the disturbing behavior, some of the inadequate care. Now, this is why this team approach can be very, very helpful, and this is also why it's so difficult. Because people in a situation when it's working, 
there would be a sense of being able to address that issue directly with the physician without right. necessarily having to go to you to add to your already jam-packed schedule and responsibilities. What there has to be, and this is we probably going to be going toward here this, this afternoon, you may need to go to the next pay grade up because there are policies and procedures, mm -hmm. there are liabilities, there are certain standards that have to be met. Mm -hmm. And if for some reason, without talking directly or intervening as you normally would have, that may have to go upstairs, so to speak, so that you now can bring the other people involved. But before we get to that, I think there's a logical progression here. Other people are aware of this. You'd have to be looking at what is the danger, first of all, because there has to be levels of dysfunction. How intense is it? How often does it happen? Mm -hmm. How destructive or disturbing is it for the patient care? See, these are the kind of things you have to weigh. But ultimately, is it going to be your responsibility? Is this how the chain of command in your group works? Or what would prevent somebody from bringing that up on a level that is almost a one-to-one -one level? Ellen, I think that brings up a good point about when is it appropriate to bring it up to that next level? And then how, as a team, do we interact most effectively with your superiors? Like you say, the, the higher pay grades and then Absolutely. the organization as a whole. Oh, Marie, that is truly, because when you think back from this time you entered medical school probably, there was this competition. There was always like you had to look out for yourself. Right. There was this thing where there's the brotherhood and sisterhood of medicine where you don't necessarily throw somebody under the bus. Right. There's a real adverse feeling about having to call somebody to be accountable. Yeah. Okay, before I talk about how you get there, can you imagine a scene sometime when everybody's accountable, when you didn't even have to get involved because perhaps your nurse practitioner would be able to say, you know, I really had some questions about that procedure. It didn't seem to be correct. It seemed that you were not up to speed on the latest research. When can you and I talk about this? Sounds yeah, kind of cool, Yeah, that's never huh? going to happen. Never say never. <laughs> never say never. But this I've is, never seen it happen. That's exactly right, because this is how we're moving things. This is where we're going. And I think this is something that ultimately you have to kind of keep an idea where the top of the mountain is. You're not there. And obviously, we have a lot of inertia to overcome. But... At some point, ideally, you would have some policies and procedures in place to have this set up. You would mm -hmm. have this discussion in mm -hmm. one of your team huddles. What do we do if anybody sees something that they're not real comfortable with? How do we want to handle that? Mm -hmm. Before you get into the situation where the emotions are running high and you're a little anxious about calling somebody on the carpet, especially if they're above you, Right. this is where the education comes in. This is where you set the tone, the culture of what we would call psychological safety. You don't feel necessarily as negatively or as worried about bringing these kind of things up. Mm -hmm. Now, at some point, that's going to take a little bit of work, a little bit of education, Let's assume we're not there yet, and we have a real situation where this person is becoming dangerous. You are going to have to go up to the next level. Mm -hmm. So how do you do that? Well, you first of all, document, document, document. You're going to need evidence. You're going to need information. You're going to need a record, whether it's people that have observed it, whether you've observed it directly. Anytime you go up to complain you have to have a couple things in place. First of all, you have to have a very clear understanding of what the issue is, uh -huh. okay? Secondly, it always helps to have a couple of ideas in terms of what you might see as a potential solution. That's right. And 
what have you tried so far that didn't work uh -huh. so that you're invested? Okay. Because you can't do to the superior or the CMO, for instance, what a lot of your folks do to you and they say, mom, fix it. You have to go with a plan. So you have to have all your information. You have to have your documentation. You have to have this real understanding of why this is not a good practice. Uh. Possible solutions take responsibility for implementing it. Mm. Because ultimately, you're not wanting to say to your superior or your CMO or even a board member, when it comes to this level, I don't want necessarily for you to step in, but I want you to know that this is how we're going to be doing this, and I want to have some backing, mm. and if it doesn't work, I will take responsibility and we will go to plan B. I think some of the steps that you laid out are applicable to many different situations and switching gears a little bit in terms of relating to the organization or higher up, so to speak, is sometimes it can feel that the organization's goals or, or the um, administrative goals are adversarial to the ins and outs of daily practice. And so some of the tips that you just talked about knowing what the issues are, coming prepared with some solutions. And I'm repeating them just because I want to take this home with me. Um, three is, what are some things that we've tried that mm -hmm. haven't been successful? Um, and then being responsible for the implementation. And don't forget follow-up. And follow-up. Tell up. people you're going to be coming back. Let's observe how we have this set up, because we're going to come back and evaluate it, whether it and monitor it. And question for you, Alan, is that what if the directive is coming from above, from the administrative side, and it is being um, imposed on your practice? How do you how do you approach that? It feels sticky. It is, and it's very uncomfortable because you're dealing with different status levels and different pay grades, as we called it. Again, I'm going to put my little vote forward for proactive education and prevention. I guess the best crisis I've ever dealt with was one that we didn't have happen. Mm. But let's assume, okay, let's assume that this happened. I call it working backwards. Okay. If you really get down to the nitty gritty, I would ask that you start with the values of, for instance, the superior uh -huh. executives. What is it that they want? They want good, solid, patient care and patient safety. They want best practices and they want to do it at a profit. I would agree with all three points is, except that I think the order is reversed. Number three seems to be number one okay. all the time. Which is they're looking for financial gain. It's just about the dollar signs, it feels like. Okay, then I think you have an educational responsibility because at some point, if their push came to shove, they can't make a financial gain if patients are not well taken care of. Mm -hmm. There are the surveys, there are mortality and morbidity reports, there's liability. At some point, we maybe need to help you make a case that you can do both. In fact, your bottom line is going to go up the better your patient care becomes. I'd like to believe that. Okay. There's I'll actually evidence. That. That's okay. good enough for All now. Right. Let's start with that. Because sometimes it feels that the goals are at odds with each other. And one thing I was thinking of, actually this was a colleague gave this example. At our practice, sometimes we feel like we're the indie rock band that's very cool, that got signed under this you know, big bad business oriented label. 
and they're trying to squeeze and get the profits. And it seems sometimes to be a conflict of interest for us to be working harmoniously together to make that awesome music. And one example I wanted to give that came up recently, and um, perhaps we can work through it practically, is uh, I had a patient who had real dire medical issues for which that, that person was seen in the emergency room. They came back to reestablish care, essentially. They were new to me, to see me in, in primary care. And I determined that this person needed X, Y, and Z follow-up. I gave prescriptions. I gave a follow-up plan. They needed a referral. Later on, after I saw her two times, my administrative counterpart, our group manager, actually came to me and they told me the patient's financial situation that our practice actually doesn't accept her insurance and basically I was offering free care and that that was not acceptable. And they wanted to quote unquote run it by me that they could work on discharging this patient and if it would be quote unquote okay to do this from a medical perspective. My concern was one, why are they involving me as, a, as the physician? I feel like it was a conflict of interest. I said as much and said that my clinical plan needs to be seen forward and I will continue seeing this patient until a transition's been made. What do you think about that, Alan? Do you have any thoughts? I think it's more common than people really like to, to, to admit. And I think ultimately it's probably going to get a little more complicated. Mm. So what I would suggest is again, the teams don't just take place horizontally. Yeah. There are teams that work vertically. They used to be called silos, but the more teamwork we got vertically, the less those silos became as far as boundaries. You want to be able to talk. When's the last time you met with the, not your administrator, they're in the practice. Who was the person that ultimately that's going to make the decision? It sounds like they were giving you a couple of options, which is better than some people saying, discharge the patient, no ifs, ands, or buts. Done. So they actually said, what are you going to do about this? So that in itself, means there may be some wiggle room to talk about. But Alan, why are they putting that on me? Because you have probably been very good at this in the past. And are they hoping that you're going to take the responsibility for providing free care? So therefore, it's all on you. And then we don't have to pay any liability. I actually have no idea. And I honestly just want to do right by the patient. Absolutely. Could you find out? Could ah. you ask the person who asked you to choose what their thought was and perhaps ask what their interest in the outcome is, explain your interest in the outcome, and then proceed? Yeah. Right. Because at some point, if this is the case, you're going to have to get input from that upper level regardless. And it's better to do it earlier in the process of ah. decision than it is at the end when they, all of a sudden it just gets dumped on you. What have I done, Ellen, by becoming a doctor is what I mean. <laughs> what have you done? I think you've offered a great service. And I think just based on your care and concern, I would be happy to be your patient any day of the week. Thank you. All right. And what I think you've done is likewise, as a dedicated caring physician, you have joined the debate, even the struggle at a very propitious time that people who have strong values need to be in it. So good. So I have um, to stick by my guns is what you're saying, Les. I'm saying you... Or I have to engage. You, you, engagement is good. Perhaps understanding what your 
counterpart's interest in the situation is. And perhaps right. there is some point of alignment where you can appreciate, at least appreciate where they're coming from and perhaps find even some common cause, but find out where, where, where you differ and appeal to values that they might understand in exploring your differences. And just be assured you don't have to do this alone. Yes, indeed. And that that is, I think, the nature of the beast these days, that we are not alone, even though we're put, pitted in these very vexatious situations that we feel we've got to solve. But I think finding some agency, as you are looking for in this situation, is really important to helping physicians feel like they can take some control and imprint their value back in the, into the practice. Mm -hmm. So let me see if I can just summarize some points here about the uh, teamwork conversation we've had. Very interesting. One was about establishing just good ground rules for teamwork to, to uh, understand this team exists as a charter to uphold certain shared values and interests about safe patient care, for instance. Mm -hmm. Something that gets everybody on the table. To propose solutions and ask for co-creation for input to allow these solutions to evolve over time and to test them over time to see if they're really sustainable. So that I think is wonderful teamwork when it's possible. Then we talked about the deviant team member, the person who isn't conforming to the norms and not observing patient safety. I talked about the need to somehow make sure that the norms for teams include the ability to hold people accountable. A very, very difficult task for the individual to begin but we also talked about the need to at least talk to those upper pay grades when the issue is serious enough to begin to have some accountability. Mm -hmm. And perhaps in future podcasts, we will talk about managing up for these kinds of advocacy issues. And then lastly, we also talked about approaching even these problematic situations with a kind of method. Mm -hmm. And I think they apply to things that extend beyond the problematic teammate. They apply to how do we share the burden? How do we delegate? How do we do process improvement? And some of these same norms about appealing to value, having a common methodology, having participatory input and a trial for change all make for good team outcomes and participation. So I wanna thank you both for leading us into this very, very rich topic. Uh, it is true, Alan, per the title of this, that we live our lives in teams, that yes, there may be a time when we close the exam room door and have the dialogue. Everything else though that delivers care to that point and from that point is dependent on a lot of other people. And learning how to make that work really is a challenge. So thank you for your insights. Thank you for the conversation. Alan, that was very helpful. There's a lot of points that I'd like to brew on a little bit and less as always. Thank you for being my Sherpa of sorts, okay. going through the treacherous paths that it okay. is practice today. <laughs> All um, right. Thank you. Well, we will continue our trek next week when our guest will be Dr. Joe Shapiro, who will be talking about conflict management and peer support. So thank you both again for this conversation and thank you to our listening audience for attending. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. If you have a question or a comment about today's program, email us at feedback at medpep.org or simply visit us at medpep.org. And now here's a few words from MedPep's founder, Steve Edelman. This is Dr. Steve Edelman, creator of MedPep, the Medical Professionals Empowerment Program, 
and director of PHS, Physician Health Services, a charitable subsidiary of the Massachusetts Medical Society. Our mission is to promote the well-being of health professionals. Many thanks to our seeker, Dr. Marie Curious, to our guide, Dr. Les Schwab, and to our wonderful group of guest experts. Hats off to project leader, Dr. J. Dev Dasgupta, audio producer, Douglas Stevens, guitardiologist, Dr. Susie Brown, and to the staff and board of PHS. Please visit and connect with us at medpep.org for CME info, faculty bios, and additional empowerment resources.